with the Ukraine war, tensions in Taiwan and unilateral Western sanctions, the United Nations system is being tested as never before. What hope does India have of real UN reform now? And is a seat at the high table, the UN Security Council, just a pipe dream? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. And this week, episode 80, we're going to look at all the uh, issues surrounding the UN system and its possible reform. The annual gathering of the UN General Assembly, as it's called, leaders of 193 member states there in New York and in the US is underway this week. And with it come the annual calls, it seems, for the 77-year-old body to consider reforming its structure and to revising who should be at the high table as the UN Security Council is. This year, the calls seem louder, much of it due to the idea that the Security Council leadership themselves have ensured a logjam in decision-making in any movement forward because they each have the veto power on any resolution. Particularly, this logjam is being felt with regard to the con consistent and continued bombing of Ukraine by Russia, Russia's war in Ukraine, as it is called. Now, the first salvo was actually fired by Russian President Vladimir Putin, not there at the United Nations itself, but in an address to the Russian nation that he made on the very day the UNGA was set to begin. He, he spoke at length, in fact, a long speech about the situation in the Ukraine, making three or four really important announcements. One, uh, he said he was going to increase Russian army strength by a partial mobilization of about 300,000 reserve soldiers. People who had already signed up to be in the reserves would be called in uh, because of the war in Ukraine. The second, that he ordered a referendum or a referenda in areas of Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia and Kherson. Remember, these are areas more recently that Russian troops have occupied in Ukraine. And this is very much on the lines of the referendum in Crimea in 2014 that preceded Russia's annexation of Crimea and full control there. He also warned those in the West who had suggested uh, the use of weapons of mass destruction against Russia, that Russia could also use those weapons. A suggestion, many said, was of Russia exercising, quote-unquote, the nuclear option. Listen it. Позволяет себе такие заявления в отношении России. Хочу напомнить, что наша страна также располагает различными средствами поражения, а по отдельным компонентам и более современными, чем у стран НАТО. И при угрозе территориальной целостности нашей страны для защиты России и нашего народа мы, безусловно, используем все имеющиеся в нашем распоряжении средства. And then just a few hours later came the response with the US President Joseph Biden leading the way. He called for United Nations reform, in fact, only to counter what he called Russia's violations of the UN system. Members of the UN Security Council, including the United States, should consistently uphold and defend the UN Charter and refrain, refrain from the use of the veto except in rare, extraordinary situations, to ensure that the Council remains credible and effective. That is also why the United States supports increasing the number of both permanent and non-permanent representatives of the Council. This includes permanent seats for those nations we have long supported, and permanent seats for countries in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. 
Now, it wasn't just him. A number of other leaders in their opening remarks there at the UNGA spoke about the need for United Nations reform, particularly in the Security Council. There was Germany, Japan, Brazil. We'll tell you a bit more about them. Also Portugal, Italy, Philippines, Mongolia, Marshall Islands, and many others. Even Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky, who, remember, had got a special vote to allow him uh, to address the United Nations uh, General Assembly via virtual address, he said this, reacting to Mr. Putin's comments. Have you ever heard such words from Russia? But it's a permanent member of the Security Council. For some reason. For what reason? No Japan or Brazil. No Turkey or India. No Germany or Ukraine. The day will come when this will be resolved. And there in New York, speaking at Columbia University, External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar said, that the global order really needs a deep transformation and one that is overdue. The points he really made was, one, that the UN system was devised 80 years ago. It's out of date, anachronistic, out of the times. The second, that since then, the number of countries in the UN has quadrupled up to 193. And so, therefore, the constitution has changed. And third, that the large parts of the globe are left out, of course, and fourth, that it is not good for the UN Security Council nor for India to for a country of India's size and economy to be left out of it. And fifth, he said, there is growing international support for India in particular to be a member of the UN Security Council. Now, when he says that it's un, uh, unfair, the geographical distribution, just take a look at this map. See how unrepresentative the UN Security Council really is right now. If you look at Western Europe and those countries, there are 29 of those countries. They have three permanent members, USA, UK, and France. Uh, the non-permanent members are two that they get in each, in each uh, election of non-permanent members. Then you look at Eastern Europe. They have 23 countries. And in the Security Council, they have one permanent member, which is Russia. And then they get a non-permanent member elected periodically as well. Then you look at the real egregiousness. Africa has 54 countries. Its permanent member number is zero. Non-permanent members, of course, three are elected periodically. And then you have Asia, this massive continent of Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, West Asia, and all the rest combined come to 54 again, get one permanent membership, that of China. Two non-permanent members, of course, India at present is one up to the end of the year. And then there's Latin America and the Caribbean region, and they, again, have as many as 33 countries. How many permanent members from there? Zero from the entire South American, Caribbean islands, those continents. Non-permanent members are two. So clearly there is a need for a change, a redistribution, of, if you like, of the UN Security Council membership. So what is that reform that is planned? And let me, let me just tell you about India's stand there. In 2005, India, along with Brazil, Germany, and Japan, really launched the G4 movement. Actually, they proposed it in 2004 and then launched it formally in 2005. It's a G4 grouping for UNSC reforms. It meets at least once a year, but several times, in fact. Uh, their foremost demand is for an expansion of the UN Security Council permanent membership for the G4 countries. So these G4 countries are India, Germany, Japan, and Brazil. Uh, they also demand, of course, representation for African countries at the UN Security Council, more permanent representation. One of the suggestions is for two members from the grouping, possibly on a rotating basis, Others have identified countries like South Africa and Egypt uh, leaders in the African continent as well. 
The G4 specifically demands a text-based and time-bound negotiation, intergovernmental negotiations, or IGN as they're known, rather than endless meetings where consensus is elusive and they've been inconclusive so far. And the G4 has left the question of whether the new members would get veto power or not still open, asking really for a serious look at that veto power, but not for the moment insisting on it. So some differences between all of these various groupings, but this is what the G4 says. So where do the biggest challenges to the G4 come, come from, and particularly for India's uh, membership or candidacy for that UNSC seat? The biggest challenge really is from P5 countries themselves. All of them pay lip service to UNSC reforms. In fact, if you remember in the year uh, 2009, Every leader of the P5 nations had come to India from then US President Barack Obama. Uh, we had Hu Jintao from China. We had the UK, the, uh, we had the Russian president. We had France as well, all visiting India in that one year. And each one of them actually promised support, pledged support for a seat for India in an expanded UNSC. However, they have seldom helped the process along for an expanded UNSC thus far. In particular, P5 nations or the permanent five will definitely oppose any plans for new uh, permanent members in getting the veto. Remember, this veto is a very, very strong part of their powers. The US uses it regularly, blocks resolutions against uh, Israel, for example, or blocks resolution that criticize its interventions in, the, in West Asia, the Middle East, and that sort of thing. And now, of course, we see Russia ready to veto any uh, resolution that critis criticizes Russia. Uh, China as well uses its veto. So none of these member countries will want any new member countries to get the veto. The next challenge really comes from regional rivals of each of the G4 countries. India, for example, sees pushback from China and Pakistan. Japan sees it from China, North Korea, also South Korea. Brazil from rivals in its region like Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, Germany from other European countries. The third challenge is really that since the UN was devised after the Second World War, it was based on the, the Security Council members were based on the principle that gave the so-called victors of the Second World War seats at the UN Security Council. The question is, what would be the underlying reason for the next expansion? How would you explain it? Is it just to be more representative? Look at who has more power? What is the best economy? So that reasoning becomes a bit of a challenge. The fourth most organized opposition really comes from a grouping called United for Consensus or UFC as it's called. And those countries, they're made up of Argentina, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Italy, Malta, Mexico, Pakistan, Republic of Korea, San Marino, Spain, Turkey. What the UFC countries really call for, and you can see from the, uh, the basis of those countries what they're getting at. The first, they say that they want a fair and equitable compromise solution, not the G4, not what the P5 are saying, but a compromise solution. They want equitable representation for African countries, but also asking for that for developing regions, for small states, small islands as well. They have a very confirmed opposition to the creation of a new permanent members in the UNSC who get exclusive national rights, unequal privileges, saying that the Security Council reform must be for all. And finally, uh, many countries are also part of the opposition to the G4, which say that the UNGA should actually just elect the UNSC Council entirely and do it on a regular basis, democratize the entire UN system. Uh, but of course, the worry then is that a system of might is right. Whoever can win the election 
will prevail rather than ensuring representation for the whole world. So there are a lot of very, very fundamental uh, principles involved in uh, the, the constant debate over UN reform. What is the process ahead? What we can tell you is this is the process. The Security Council reform, any reform in the Security Council entails the amendment of the UN Charter. This is according to clause number 108. This requires the adoption by a vote of at least two-thirds of the members of the General Assembly. So at least 129 countries have to vote for whatever proposal for UNSC reform is brought forth after the intergovernmental negotiation. And third, it has to be ratified by at least two-thirds of the members that include all UN Security Council permanent members. So they have a very important stake there. Clearly, the road ahead could be just as long as the road of 77 years behind us when it comes to UN Security Council reform. Post-COVID, the economic crisis globally, wars, unilateral decision-making. Uh, really, the UN system itself is under challenge. And the question is as much about whether India wants to join what is being perceived as an unequal system, but at least it exists, or to build a whole new system, a whole new global world order, that could take an equally long time, but you would have to build it from scratch. So we're going to take a look at this issue again and again as UNSC reform is discussed. But let me get you some reading recommendations and it's heavy stuff. So I would say start ab initio, start with the documents. There are a number of papers and reports online which you can access. Uh, the, the, the big ones all come together in one book called Key Documents on the Reform of the UN Security Council from 1991 to 2019. Remember, 1993 is when the process really began. Uh, this has been edited by Bardo Fassbender. The second book I would say is something called United Nations Reform It or Build It Up From Scratch. This is an idea I was talking about. It's by someone from, called Blagovest Georgiev. Uh, it is a book I haven't read, but I would really like to. And it takes a look at future po possibilities. It's been reviewed extremely well. Then there is a classic, which is a must read for everyone, called Five to Rule Them All, the UN Security Council and the Making of the Modern World. This is by David Bosco. Uh, this is on the fascinating history of what happened, how did the UN Security Council come around. Really a must read, particularly for the roles of the Soviet Union and for that time for China. Uh, then there is a book by the leader of Turkey himself, the president, arguably one of the world's authoritarian leaders, someone many fear, who's arguing for a different world order. But his book is a very interesting read called A Fairer World is Possible, a proposed model for UN reforms. This is by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, then there are a number of books that you could read written by UN diplomats themselves. Uh, there's one by David M. Malone, a very famous UN diplomat from Canada. He's been to India as well. Uh, it's called the UN Security Council from the Cold War to the 21st century. But I should warn you, this ends in 2004. So it really looks at that period. Uh, the second are two books by Shashi Tharoor was formerly a, a very senior US official, a UN official. He stood for UN Secretary General, then of course became cabinet minister, now an opposition leader. The first is called The New World Disorder and the Indian Imperative by Tharoor and Samir Saran. And also Shashi Tharoor's earlier book, I would really recommend called Pax Indica, India and the World of the 21st Century. It's a bit older, it's from 2012, but it has a lot of key facts on the UN there as well. Then there is a look at the unfairness of the system, but one race that India won. It's an easy read, a quick read. It's called India versus UK, the story of an unprecedented diplomatic win. This is a book by Sayyid Akbaruddin. He's the former Indian permanent representative to the UN, and therefore that vote on the International Court of Justice's uh, judges.
Then, of course, by Hardeep Puri, I've spoken about this before. It's called Perilous Interventions, the Security Council and the Politics of Chaos. Hardeep Singh Puri was, of course, India's permanent representative, now a cabinet minister. And then there's a book called A History of the United Nations Security Council and How to Fix It. Intergovernmental organizations have never been this exciting. Uh, this is actually the title of the book. It's a very short and punchy book, just about 80 pages or so, by Jason Capaloni, Veer Janeja, and Anthony Reynolds. So much to think about. And as I said, this is pretty dense reading, but we hope if you take an interest in the issue of not just the UN Security Council reforms, but India's place in this, uh, we do hope you enjoy reading them all. That's all we have time for here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.